Hello, Jews and non-Jews. This is Unorthodox, a weekly podcast from Tablet Magazine. I am Mark Oppenheimer, joined as ever by Tablet Deputy Editor Stephanie Butnick. Good morning. Good morning. And not Liel Leibowitz today. Liel is in rehab, uh, breaking himself of assorted addictions, and so, and subbing in for him today. So we we wanted to get a sort of as close to a Liel as we could, right? We wanted we needed someone to play the Liel role. We were looking for a six foot four. Rather heavy set, gun owning Israeli Israeli Zionist with a PhD in video game studies. It was and, actually really easy. And what to you find. got was <laughs> and what you really got was what we got was a six, a four foot six. Yes. Instead of six foot four, we actually got a four foot six. Still heavy set. We got Batsheva Marcus, who is one of our favorite guests ever. She's a sex therapist and May's Women's Health, uh, with offices in Purchase and Manhattan and all over the place. And you may remember her from the great New York Times Magazine profile, which basically said that it, when ultra-Orthodox women need to figure out where their clitoris is, they ask Batsheva. Correct. Correct. And by the way, did that article and the ensuing publicity, boom like, the business. boom the business? Well, not really. Because they, mean, don't, they don't read the time. A lot of crazies <laughs> called me. I mean, we don't only see ultra-Orthodox. We see everybody. So over the years, a right. lot of people have wandered in saying, you know, I saw the article. But I know it seems like it would have been like our doors would have been pounded down, but not quite. Not quite. Um, that would be nice. And uh, so we're joined by Batsheva as our, as our Leah Leibowitz of the week. And our Jewish guest this week is a Messianic Jew, a follower of Jesus, Deborah Pardo Kaplan. She is our Jewish guest. She is halakhically all Jew. She's like a thousand percent Jew. She's just decided that Jesus is uh, the Messiah and she's written a memoir about it. Uh, so we're going to talk to her about that. Uh, she's also a journalist. Our Gentile of the Week is rock DJ and now NPR host Bruce Barber from New Haven, Connecticut. He's a pal of mine and... Um, Hashtag nepotiz. Yeah, I just, I get to put my pals on the show, right? That's, I mean, that's, that's the well, point, two of them, yeah. right? right? <laughs> well, we've run out of Wall Street Journal sports writers to put on the show, that's Stephanie. True. We've run yeah. out of pals of your boyfriend. So, uh, I don't know, Batsheva, who do you got? Who you got for us? I have an entire list. I'll send it over. <laughs> <laughs> Look, anyway, how are you guys? Batsheva, how are you? I am so excited to be here. You have no idea. You know how some people aspire to, like, I don't know, be president of the United States or... <laughs> I aspire to be a replacement host on, on Orthodox. And I've got my dream. It's amazing. I love this show. I'm so excited to be here. You're basically like the best substitute for Leo. Oh, that's awesome. Right? Because no. like you you are sassy in okay. a good in like you ha you can hold your own, which is really important. But you're like a little less brash, right, and which I'm I like right about wing, you. But not quite as right wing as Leo. Well, I did. Comment. I did think like you'll you'll be here to defend Israel at all costs. Like uh, no. no matter what we throw at you about Israel, be like it's fine. They're fine. Uh huh. They're okay. fine. Right. Well, we'll see. We'll see if things come up. <laughs> um. So, all right. A little news of the Jews. First of all, someone we've talked about before on the show, whom I think we gave a Mazel Tov to for being the oldest person in America, Goldie Michelson, a 113 year old Jewess from Worcester, Massachusetts. That was only a few months ago. She is. Now the ex-oldest person in America <laughs> because she has gone to meet a far older person. The problem with that title is like it's not one you hold for that long. It's like it's great to get it, but you're not going to have it for long. So Goldie Michelson has passed, as they euphemistically say, and we're sort of still waiting on who's going to be crowned the next oldest. I was say, who do we do we know? I don't think we know. There's like a 60% chance it'll be an Ashkenazi Jew. Right. Can I tell you, I feel like it often. I feel like <laughs> <laughs> So if you have any, I mean, we don't necessarily trust the Guinness Book or whoever certifies these things. I and mean, we would, if you have any nominees, if you know someone who's just like wicked old, <laughs> like, we will crown them unorthodox as oldest person in America. But again, they have to be an Ashkenazi Jew because we seem to always. What are they called? Super, super. Super light? centenarians. Oh, yeah. 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 Do you want to be, do you want to live forever, Stephanie? Um, 
I'm not sure. I don't think so. I uh, I think I'd like to like like really perfect old age. Like I've already got the cat. Like I've already got it down. I got a lot of gray hair. Um, but then I sort of just like want to. I don't want to overdo it. You know. You don't want to. Like I want to bow out at the right time. You don't want to gild the lily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be a, I, I like. I know it's like a party. Like I know when it's time to leave. Interesting. You have no gray hair, by the way. Do you really I have gray? a lot? Yeah, you can't see it right now. Do you color it? No. No, I like, can't see it right now. Where it's the studio is very dark. I can't see it. That's why we record here. I can't see it either. <laughs> Do you want to live? So for, are, you, are you one of those no, people? Didn't you see that article by Zeke Emanuel about I only want to live to 75? I thought it was 70. Oh, so I only want to live to 75. Yeah, sorry. In the Atlantic? Yeah, I love that article. It wasn't it after 70. I'm not having any more tests. I'm not like, exactly. I'll, exactly. I'll, I'll die take morphine. If I, have a, like, if I have an infection. Yes, I, lo- I love that article. My son sent it to me and said, Oh, I, please don't get any ideas. But I'm like, But here's this article <laughs> you should read and get ideas from. <laughs> but I knew you would really like it because I talk about it all the time. So. See, I feel exactly the opposite. I want to live forever. I want I, whoever my healthcare proxy is better know that they should keep me on every machine. I want them to plug every hole. If there's if there's a vein, stick this, something. I mean, this is a legally binding recording, so this is fine. <laughs> Why Just state would your wishes. you want that? I'm, my fear of death is is extremely strong. Because you think that you'll go someplace bad? No, no, because I don't know where I'll go. I also want to say, like, you probably would get, like, a big case of FOMO. Like, you don't oh, want to miss out on anything. I just learned what that was about two weeks ago. That's fear of missing out, right? right. If Leal was here, he'd make fun of you. Just, I'm not. I'm very make fun nice. of you. You just found that out two weeks ago. It's how fear does... of missing out. It's like, you, like, you don't can't go out tonight, but, like, you actually, like, want to know what everyone's doing or something right. like that. But this is life. And you're like, you want, yeah. you don't want to miss out on it. Yeah, but like, I have so much FOMO and who wants to be like frail and not be able to do anything. And It's that fundamentally, I don't believe I'll be frail. Uh-huh. I think I'll be totally fine. Like only losers get frail. Like me. I don't actually, <laughs> I don't believe that, but I'm just saying that like, I, you don't, you don't perceive it. I don't way. actually intellectually believe that. But in the way that until about 10 years ago, I actually felt like I was never going to die. Now I feel like I will die, but I will be totally vigorous right up till the end. This is getting dark. It is really. It's, it's, it's too early for this. It's 845 in the Flatiron District, and we're talking about death. So goodbye, Goldie Michelson. We look forward to crowning. Rest the, in peace. The, mm-hmm. Rest in peace. Uh, we look forward to crowning Zichron Livracha. We look forward to crowning the Jewish woman who will be the, your replacement as the oldest person in America. Only the good die young. That's what I said. Only the good die young. Only the good die young. You might have heard Raisman is back on the Olympic team. I didn't know who this was, but apparently she's That's so embarrassing. a big deal to 12-year-old girls and Stephanie Considering Butnick. you have like 112-year-old girls, basically. <laughs> okay, who is she and why should I Okay, care? so she just made, as of Sunday night, just made the Olympic team for Rio. Um, she's one of the She's one of the five that made the in team. Gymnastics. Gymnastics, right. yes. Um, she She's the oldest. They're calling yes. her the grandmama team. She's, she's 22. 22. <laughs> she's ancient. Um, she's from Needham, Massachusetts. I, so I assume <gasps> you would have some sort of like connection with Needham? her. Yeah. Uh, well, Eastern Mass doesn't really give the time of day to Western Mass. But the reason, so, so basically the reason she became, when, when were the last Olympics? 2012? Yeah. What, <laughs> what, what was four years ago? Four Where years are ago. we now? Um, so she came out and did her floor routine to Havana Gila and it like, I was a Jewish blogger at the time, um, blogging for tablet, and it was like 
you could not have picked a better thing for like the, the morale of the Jewish people. It basically, killed. It yeah, killed. like people just went nuts. And it's such a weird song, but it was actually kind of perfect for the routine. And everyone was just like, everyone and their grandmothers were sending this around, being like, "Have you seen Ellie Raisman? She did Hava Nagila." And then there are these videos of her parents just like watching her do all of her routines, and they're like clenched, and they're going like, like you see them, and that they ended up like stealing the show later on because like they were just going crazy, like they were so nervous. At the end of it, did they put her on a chair and parade her around and did a bunch, <laughs> yeah, basically. Did, did a bunch of hot 19-year-old party Drake motivators. Drake ran out and he did their, their <laughs> rebarment. So, so yes, yeah, so she made the team again. So I don't know. I think it'll be exciting. What will she and do to, the rest of the team's amazing. Simone Biles. What will she do to top Gabby this? Gabby Douglas. Like, will they... Hatikva. Shalom Aleichem. Hatikva seems like, like that's just like pandering. So that means, do I have to watch this? Oh, shoot. This is the first Summer Olympics. It's two and a half minutes. This is the first Summer Olympics where my daughters have some sense of controlling the TV. And you're going to be watching it. I am going to be subjected. Why do you hate? Okay. so Women? Glad you asked about that. It's about women. Because, first of all, it's one of those sports that's totally corrupt, right? There's no actual winner or loser. It's all who the German judge. You sound judge. like our guest from a few weeks ago. Well, it is. And, but I've been thinking this for – okay, I was way ahead of Matt Futterman on this. <laughs> I, it's, it's, you know, a bunch of – Subjective. A bun- yeah, it's a bunch of judges who have been bought off or repaying favors from the Pan Am Games two years ago or the Euro Cup three years ago. Hold up signs and that's who's the winner. So that's number one. I don't think no, they hold up signs you anymore. You are so cynical. They hold this up is signs. making me so sad. They write – they take out a marker. <laughs> but you can tell when – they're good like you can see when you see a perfect routine i, I did watch the qualifiers on sunday night only because ben cohen is going to rio and is one of the things he's covering is gymnastics so, so no babies for you for three years <laughs> oh <laughs> that'll be too bad madam zika um but you see these perfect routines and you can kind of see when they mess up All right. A bit more news of the Jews. But first, I this is the quickest bit of snoring you will ever have. Show me the money! Jerry, you better yell! Show me the money! We need your money to keep going. You guys have been insanely generous. Like donations have been – there have been about almost 100 donations so far of various amounts. Um, a huge percentage of, of them are – uh, a lot of money, and then a, a lot of them are a little money. And I moved by the guy who spent sent in five dollars actually brought me to tears because here's someone who sat down and entered his in, in this case it was a man his credit card number and gave us five dollars. I thought he loves us a lot. That was actually really really moving. Um, we're giving away lots of cool things for various levels of giving. Nobody yet has taken us up on the offer, the ten thousand dollar offer to have us officiate their wedding. <laughs> I have no idea why. <laughs> but guys, I'm really – first of all, I am a universal life minister. I can do this legally. So is Liel, right? So is Liel. Like we actually have – Double team it. We have two. You can do a double wedding. <laughs> I can do the cantor. Mark, Liel, and double team are not things anyone wants when they think about their nuptials. I could take it to the mikvah. Yeah. Oh. Would you? Yeah, sure. Oh, my God. <laughs> Batsheva Marcus. That's amazing. Orthodox sex therapist has offered to take you to the mikvah the night before. Is, it's the, is it the day before? Usually it, it's the day. It could day be before. any time before, but yeah. And I, you'll do that for uh, – for, we're I, not even your regular – and my privilege. <laughs> God. And then Liel or I will perform the wedding, and then Stephanie will. I'll do like the motivational dancing. At the... <laughs> We're not kidding. Like, if you know someone who's getting married, that's what ten thousand dollars gets you. Less than that, just gets you our love and various other things. So go to tabletmag.com. What does five thousand dollars get you? I don't. Okay. Go to tabletmag.com/slash/donate. <laughs>
What you wanna do? Wanna be ballers, shot callers, brawlers. Who be dipping in the bins with the spoilers? On the low from the J and the floors. Wanna bumble with the B, huh? I want to talk a little bit about Jamie Kirchick's piece at tabletmag.com about Jared Kushner. This is Trump's son-in-law who wrote that very weird fa- – was it a Facebook post? I think it was a, an observer up it. It was an observer in the newspaper he owns defending Trump, who's his father-in-law, right? So Jared Kushner, modern Orthodox Jew, he married Ivanka Trump who converted to Judaism and married him. And they are now, you know, a beautiful, wealthy Jewish couple who are defend- who are working for Trump's election. And, you know, Batsheva, I wanted to ask you, because you come from the modern Orthodox world, right? You know these, you know these, but you see them at, I don't know what you see them at. What, Kushner's and Yeah, at like m- meetings of the, of the high council of the secret conspiracy. Like if it's Orthodox wing, you're there. The Kushner's are there. Lookstein's are there. Like this is, this is a Shonda, right? This is horrible that, that Jared Kushner is shilling for Donald Trump. No? You know, I have a little bit of mixed feelings. I cannot stand Donald Trump. Let's just put that out there. And I don't think IQs, high IQs run in that family particularly. The Trumps or the Kushners? The both. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I guess there's a little piece of me that feels like he's just defending Papa. And and to be clear, he's def- this basically started with the Star of David tweet that we talked about last week. So everyone said this is anti-Semitic. It actually originated. It was Hillary. It said most corrupt politician It was a picture of Hillary on a background of dollar bills with a star of David, and it said most corrupt politician ever, and tweet, and it originated... I'd like a neo-Nazi alt-right anti-Semitic site. Like, basically, its origins were anti-Semitic. Its origins were anti-Semitic. And and, Trump retweeted it. Yes, and maybe didn't realize whatever, but then doubled down on it. And so... Kushner came out and said, like, look, he's not anti-Semitic. I and, and I would know because, like, I've never said this before, but, like, my grandparents were in the Holocaust. So, like, I know real anti-Semitism. Right. So he's an expert. And and he it was a very weird place to go to sort of say, like, he's being and I, I get what you're saying. Like, he is he is defending Papa. But at the same time, we're like, oh, don't use the Holocaust. Like and his and he's had like ma- major rifts in his family. Obviously, we'll get to that. But his cousins came out on, on Facebook and we're like, are you? kidding right, like, like don't use our grandparents to like <laughs> chill for trump like, like that is bad bobby and zadie did not walk like, yeah, a thousand this, yeah. miles from baba yar yeah, to he freedom was a <laughs> partisan like it was like <laughs> what Right. I mean, I think Trump's biggest issue is he can't like he can never say yeah. I made a mistake. I'm an idiot. I'm sorry. Like that just doesn't doesn't yeah. show. So so he gets stuck in these ridiculous situations. And then his son in law wants to say, well, he's not anti-Semitic, which yeah. maybe he isn't. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't. Yeah, he's my hunch not. is that he's yeah. not anti-Semitic. But rather than he's saying smart my father in law is an idiot. Yeah. Right. He just said, right. you know, he's but, really not anti-Semitic. And my yeah. grandparents will prove that. I have to say, though. You have to say as I, someone whose grandparents are also Holocaust survivors. Well, actually, I don't. Ha- I say that whenever I want to, like, prove a point. I say, you know, no, I'm joking. I would never. But I'm not saying this from there. I think this, weirdly, this Star of David tweet is, like, not what's going to bring him down. But, like, this is this is the one thing that's stuck to him. He said all these awful things. He's tweeted all these awful things. And everything, he's it's, he's sort of like Teflon in that way. He can make fun but of, this, of a yeah. disabled person. And literally, we all forgot about it. I mean, and we the Christian right still endorses him, right? But so I think this is the thing that's going to, like, he's starting to short circuit because of this. Really? I, I, I don't think I have that feeling at all. I, I feel don't like know. It's like, we're still Teflon. talking. I mean, obviously, that's because he hasn't done anything stupid in the last two weeks. But the next true. stupid thing he does will, you know. So in the modern Orthodox world, we're just going to make you modern Orthodox. <laughs> 
that's your, that's all you are I'm today, Forrest. Yes, <laughs> you're, you're a pocket-sized modern Orthodox sex therapist. In that world, is there are people like rooting for Trump because they think Hillary knows is friendly with Obama and Obama hates Jews? Like, it, do people buy that? It's so weird to me, but there is a subset of the Orthodox community that is really you know, going after Trump because I think he'll be better for Israel, which I, I think is based on are nothing. They, and by the way, are these people it's with... It's mind-blowing to me. These aren't dual loyalty people. These are actually single loyalty people, right? Yeah. Like, they really they're only care... they're not all idiots. Like, that's like every once in a while I'll meet somebody and they're actually not stupid and they say they're voting for Trump and I almost don't even get into conversations with them because, like, where can you go with that? So, like who, for example? Give us some names. <laughs> the problem is, is when, when someone's actually not stupid, like what you're saying, like, because you're like, you're not an idiot, but I, I don't buy this whole like Trump being good. For, I, first of all, I hate that that's the barometer we're holding politicians to. Like, who's better for Israel? Like, I think that there's, there's we should bake in a few other things what, right. up there too. What percentage? But also on what basis? Just because he's a hawk? Like, it seems like he's a hawk. So they, I think that's the jump that people are making. And they think they, they basically they think the more hawkish you are, the better for Israel. Like, there's no one who thinks what's good for Israel is actually peace. I, you know what. <laughs> Like, the weird thing also is that Clinton was so good to Israel, for Israel. Like, where, where is all this anti-Hillary stuff coming from? I'm not getting it. Is the kiss that she, you know, the famous kiss? Who'd she kiss? She kissed Sh- Shua Arafat? Shua... Who's Shua Arafat? There was this, like, famous... It's, was it like she... She was at... Yeah, like, you don't know what you're talking about. She was visiting some, and like, went She was in. visiting and she went and she gave a cheek kiss to... To his wife? I guess, okay. yeah. And that was years ago and, like, somehow that is Hillary's it. really hawkish. I know. Look, also on the Israel. So this is actually, you know, in the same in the same vein, CNN has reported based on some sort of leaked copy of the Republican platform that they're not going to mention the two state solution. So they actually have they're outflanking APAC to the right. They're outflanking every U.S. president. They're actually just not going to talk about Palestine or a two state solution at all. Do you think that's because they want to garner support like they think Trump might lose. The, is it like for the Jewish vote, basically? And I, I hate guess, that phrase. I guess they're trying oh, to say I like hate this. Even, it's true. I mean, it's the phrase, even <laughs> though Trump's problematic. I mean, does that I don't know how many votes does that win? I don't have a sense of how many of these voters there are who are just like what all about? they all they look at is. I mean, I knew my uncle David. It was one question. Are you good for Israel? Right. And I, I don't have a sense of how much of the Jewish community that is. I don't either. If you don't have it, obviously I don't have it. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't I, I just I never understand when somebody's voting in an American election based on Israel. Like that just never quite made sense to me. In addition to the fact that you never really know where somebody's going to go for Israel. So, yeah. And also the Tuesday solution thing. What about fundamentalist Christians? Are they believe the, fundamental, the fundamentalist Christians will actually will ask Deborah. I, I speak for the Orthodox Jews. You can speak for the fundamentalist Christians. <laughs> Since I hang with them. We'll actually ask Deborah Pardo Kaplan about that because she is a Messianic Jew. So, um, I, you know, I think nobody's more Zionist than the Christian Zionist. So I think – no, they. I don't think they support the two-state solution Correct. at all. I think so they think, that, you know, from the river to the sea. I mean they – So maybe that's what he's pandering to. Yeah. No, that's – that's, that's a much actually, bigger vote. That's actually a really good point. It could be about it could be about nailing down the evangelical vote. The evangelicals, of course, I've said it before. It's a little bit ironic that they're supporting the thrice married lapsed Presbyterian who can't name two of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> but I always said they would because here's the thing: the Christian right is not a real thing. It's just the Republican Party with a kind of overlay of piety. It's never been a real thing. They don't actually have when when they have to sacrifice their Christian principles to vote Republican. Most of them will to, to vote for low taxes. At the end of the day, low taxes and the and gun rights matter more to them than voting the candidate who's more authentically Christian. Is that is there data to support that or is this just yes. Mark Oppenheim? No, no, well, it's the anecdotal data of my whole life reporting on these people.
Our guest Jew this week is writer Deborah Pardo Kaplan. Deborah is a freelance journalist. She writes about religion and health for publications like Christianity Today, Religion News Service, and Science and Theology News. She has a master's in Jewish studies from McGill. She went to Columbia for J School. But the reason I wanted her on the show is because she's written a memoir. It's not published yet, but I've read it, and it's really terrific, called Solomon's Porch, and it's about her life as a Messianic Jew. So, uh, Deborah, welcome. Thank you, Mark, and uh, thank you very much for having me on the show. I really appreciate the opportunity, um, especially uh, as a Jewish guest on your show. Um, I, I heard the show a few weeks back, and you had actually been reading from a, a Jews for Jesus uh, pamphlet, and uh, you put that on the Gentile guest part of the show, so I do appreciate that you applauded uh, <laughs> me. Well, here's data, right? What is James Dobson of Focus on the Family doing coming in for Trump? Ugh, enough Trump. I can't. All right. I can't even. To our more Gentile. Because I think our Gentile that week had like bailed on us yeah. or something. Yeah. So we <laughs> actually had right. time to kill. Right. Right. <laughs> so, um, no, I mean, to me, I think it's very important that we treat um, Jews for Jesus or Messianic Jews. I realize they're not precisely the same thing as Jews, because if we think of them as Christians, then what we're saying is baptism works. And since Jews think that baptism is just like meaningless sprinkling of water, we think you're still Jewish. So that's like theologically important for me. Um well, and, thank, yeah, go ahead. thank you very much. I do appreciate that you still see me as Jewish. Not everyone does. <laughs> and, and there is a, you know, there is a distinction between Jews for Jesus, which is an organization that started in the 70s and whose main mission is outreach, and particularly, you know, a more aggressive form of outreach to the Jewish community. Um, and then there's, you know, you have the Messianic, the broader Messianic Jewish community and the congregational movement, you know, where you have a spectrum of, of observance and you have, but, but you definitely have within the congregational movement a, a desire to uphold, you know, Jewish life and Jewish identity. And I think, oh. um, and maybe, you know, and you have a variety of forms of outreach within the congregational movement as well. Okay. So just to be clear for our listeners and for us, what exactly are you? Like you're ancestrally Jewish, your parents are Jewish, but at some point you decided Jesus was God, <laughs> right? So give me, give us, give us the one minute version of that whole journey. Okay. Well, I do. I, both my parents are Jewish. I come from Montreal, a very Jewish community there. Um, I was raised more as a secular Jew with some tradition. Um, and my cousins, who are Messianic Jews, um, decided, had Bible studies at their home. And at some point in my early 20s, I, uh, after a life of really sort of spiritual searching and ch some challenges, which included illness and you know, um, moving around a lot, exposure to new age philosophies. Um, I ended up at their study and the things that they said there resonated with me. Um, it felt incredibly Jewish. They were Jews. Their home was Jewish there where they lived in the Jewish part of Montreal. Nothing about it um, seemed un-Jewish to me. You know, in fact, their theology, which looked towards uh, a redeemer, a messiah, was not un-Jewish. Um, you know, Judaism, uh, the Tanakh sort of points to this um, as well. And Jews are, you know, waiting for a Messiah, and or not all Jews, but Judaism has the concept of a Messiah, and uh, you know, I'm just putting a name to it, you know. Um, so, so how are you different from a Christian? Um, well, uh, first, by birth, I am a Jew, and second, our theology is different. Um, there, in Christianity, there's a lot of differences, but you know, there's sort of this supersessionist 
idea that they are the new Israel, um, that they have replaced the chosen people of God. And I don't believe that way. I believe that the Jews are still the chosen people of God. And, um, you know, we we continue to live a Jewish life. My family and I, we um, we observed levels of kashrut in our home. We observed uh, Shabbat. Um, we go to synagogue every week. Um, so, you know. But you, you go to Messianic Jewish synagogue, well, right? Well, I, I did, yes, for most of my, my 25 years as a Messianic Jew. But now I'm living in Austin, and there really isn't a congregation here that um, that appeals to me. Um, so I we attend a conservative synagogue, actually. And, and, you- uh, and my... Uh, from the beginning, it's been four years now that we're in a conservative synagogue, and my husband and I approached the rabbi right from the beginning, and we told them, look, we're Messianic Jews, we'd like to come here. Um, and, you know, at first he was a, a little hesitant, but he said, you know, you're very welcome, and you're welcome to be yourselves. You can't have membership, and you can't have aliyot, you can't go up and read the Torah or have any, you know, covenant-related responsibilities. So, um- Sorry? And what's been the reaction from the other people you've met there? Have you talked to the people that are there, yes. the other congregants? Over time, we've talked to people. Uh, for the most part, it's been fairly positive. Um, there were one or two families um, that, you know, it to- talked to the rabbi and said, you know, that we shouldn't be there um, and didn't talk to us anymore. Well, one family didn't talk to us anymore. But the rest... What were their names? <laughs> what was their name? <laughs> yeah, what were their names? Let's get, let's get back at them right now. <laughs> Um, so, you know, but we do, we do speak to them a little bit. Um, but for the most part, people have been very, very kind and very friendly. And, and the rabbi even said after four years, he feels like we're part of the community, although we still don't have those right responsibilities that, you know. So when, so how would you explain Messianic Judaism to someone like, let's say someone else in that congregation? Cause I feel like a lot of people don't really understand what it is. What's your sort of like quick explanation of it? Well, it's a, an acceptance of a, a, a Jewish Messiah. Uh, you know, I mean, Jesus was a Jew. He he lived in the Jewish community. He was observant. He wore talis. He observed laws of kashrut. He he. Um, and so we're we are. You know, unfortunately, there was a split around the fourth century. To I mean, this is not a fast answer. <laughs> But, um, you know, um, between the church and Judaism, and that really took Jesus out of his Jewish roots. And, you know, it's been getting back to that, both through scholarship and through, you know, um, Messianic Jews who are trying to get, you know, reclaim Jesus as a Jew. Um, so, you know, we are, we just believe that um, a Messiah has come, and he's, um, in order to um, bring a redemption, both of sin and eventually, you know, a time of peace as described in the biblical prophets. Okay. How sure are you that Jesus is the Messiah? Are you like a hundred percent sure? Are you at 80%? Like, where's your level of certainty about this? I'm quite certain, you know, of course, over the years, there, there are different things that challenge you. Um, you know, I've been challenged by, by rabbis over the, over the years and, uh, you know, um, but I, I see what's going on in the world and I know, and just the fact, just also looking at, at Israel as a country and as a Jewish people and just what we've gone through as a people and um, um, just... So why, why are you so sure? Like, what, what was the, what cinched it? Were you like, yes, this New Testament stuff, true. Well, I think at, at the very beginning at my cousin's Bible study, I kind of took a leap of faith. And then, you know, pretty quickly, I felt God's presence <laughs> and um, that sort of, you know, I saw changes in my life. I saw order in my life. I, I um, and I was led back through God's presence. I was led back to a life of uh, a Jewish, uh, li- you know, living a Jewish life. Um, how much halacha? How much Jewish law do you keep? 
Well, we keep a kosher kitchen. We observe Shabbat, not as Orthodox Jews do. We do turn lights on and we do drive to synagogue, but we try to. So, where? How do you make those distinctions? Like, what makes? You know, uh, you know, it's you know, there's a variety of Messianic Jews within the community. There are some that you know, you could have some that look like Reformed Jews and some that look like Orthodox Jews. You know, we. Um, it's just you're somewhere in the middle. Yeah, you're we're like, somewhere in the middle. <laughs> you're like a conservative Messianic yeah. Jew, basically. Conservatox. You're conservative. You're conservatox. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so funny because you're saying, you know, you're saying leap of faith, you're saying God's presence. And those to me are very Christian ideas, Christian words, Christian language. Um, do you find that you, the way you speak is sort of like, you know, the, the phrases, they're different from other Jews? Um, I mean, I'm just struck by that. Sometimes they can be different from modern Jews. But if you look in the in the Tanakh or the Torah, those, those terms are used as well. So, you know, um, yeah, obviously I've been influenced by the evangelical world because Messianic Judaism has been. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm trying to work that out over the years um, because, you know, I think Messianic Judaism is trying to separate itself from, from, from the church world to a certain extent. Um, and well, he, can I ask, here's what puzzles me a little bit, which is that you needed, you wanted God, you had faith. I get that. Why not just go to God and like straight, like the Jews do, like why have this right. in between person, Be, Messiah? Because when thing? I read the text, it, it, there's a sense that there's something that hasn't been completed yet. Even Judaism agrees with that. You know, that there there needs to be, a, there's going to be a time of, with a Davidic ruler and a time of peace and, a, and when the exiles will be returned. And there's just everything, there's so many sort of, there's a, there's a narrative uh, that points to redemption. And there's a, um, um, and, and so I'm just, you know, I just feel that that time, that, that, person that that the, the Tanakh is pointing to has already come. And so Judaism is, is still sort of waiting for that Messianic Redeemer. Um, and so when when you when you became a Messianic Jew, you had not yet met Jonathan, right? No, no, no. I was in my so, early 20s and it, my husband. Yeah, that, that was so there was a strong there. argument at that point that you were really signing yourself up for lifelong spinsterhood, right? <laughs> I mean, not 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 that the goal of every woman or man or trans person or intersex person is to get married. Yeah. We, we, we honor every life path here. But you were a heterosexual woman who wanted a family yeah. and you were basically putting yourself in a really specific dating yeah. pool. I like, didn't know that there, at first. You know, I, I diagram. Out, you know, along the way, as I dated Jewish guys, and you know, it didn't always work out, mostly because of this. Wait, oh, tell us about that. So you dated Jewish guys. Like, on what date do you say, by the way, I'm a Messianic Jew? <laughs> that was hard. I mean, there was always sort of three things I needed to tell them. One, I I look younger than I am. So I needed to tell them my age because I went sort of back to McGill at a slightly older age. So I dated guys because I was in Jewish studies there. So I dated some guys from Jewish studies or whatever. And um, so I needed to tell them my age. I needed to tell them that I had ulcerative colitis, which is an illness. <laughs> oh, my mom has that. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, she doesn't That's tell anyone. That's very Jewish. She doesn't tell anyone Jewish. that, though. Yeah, well, yeah. you know, you... It's unclear if she has that. She once claimed to have that. The insurance company thinks think she has that. I think you know if you have that. Um, <laughs> and then, and then no, I does. had to she tell does. them that I was messing too. So did I tell them on day one? Do I tell them three weeks later? It varied. But it usually didn't end up well, uh, either because I decided it wasn't going to work or they decided it wasn't going to work. Could you have married someone who was Jewish but not Messianic and just figured, like, I'll bring him along or the children will side with me? You know, I think I could have. I think, uh, um, I think you know, I know people who have, and it's a little more challenging, you know. Um, but I didn't, and I, I ended up waiting a long time. <laughs> I didn't marry till I was in my early 30s. 
um, and then had kids a little later. So yeah, I waited, but I sort of had a sense that I would meet someone. Um, and I did. So I know that there's a lot of you know resistance almost at some point, I think probably hostility from the Jewish community towards Messianic Jews. Are you, do you find that also from the Christian community? Like, were you in the Venn diagram of like Jewish guys didn't want to date you, but also Christian guy, like, were you, or, or is there more of an embrace among Christians? I don't, I wasn't really meeting Christian guys cause I never really went to a church. I either stayed in a home Bible study or went to Messianic congregations. So I didn't meet too many Christian guys. And I, I don't, I was really determined to meet someone Jewish, um, who believed in the Messiah. Uh, so I'd go to conferences and things like that. Um, um, what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> no, just where does just the hosti- dating? Just well, I mean, where does the hostility come from, or does it not? Like, are you leading yeah. a pretty hostility-free existence? No, you know, from the beginning. Well, particularly the beginning, there was hostility. My family wasn't. You know, particularly both my grandmothers were a little bit upset about things, and I met a lot. Do of you feel like? What? Do you feel like you did kill them? I mean, if they're dead now, do you feel like you did put them in an early grave? One as of everyone them is told still you, alive, you... and the other one lived into her nineties. They're both in their nineties, so they lived a long time. And I, you know, one of them said to me, "You know, we have such a great relationship, but there's this like baby in between us that is Jesus, sort of thing." And you know, and they both both the grandmothers brought this sort of this ultra orthodox rabbi from Toronto to Montreal to. To meet with me and and that must have been really effective. And, <laughs> yes, and, and my cousins and, and friends and he, I mean, unfortunately, he wasn't very. Uh, he was very. The first thing he said to us was, "You know, you've thrown my grandparents into the ovens." And so <laughs> that is like the worst. Everyone's that, always saying that, that now. The grandparents. To the children, what are your children? How old are your kids? And how would you feel if they decided to become either Christians or non-Messianic Jews? My kids are six and nine, and we're raising them very strongly as Jews. They come with us every week to synagogue. Um, my older daughter is actually at a Jewish school, although it's a non-affiliated Jewish school. Um, how would you feel if she went back to her regular Jewish roots as opposed to her Messianic Jewish What Jews roots. might call normal Judaism, oh, well, for I lack of a better it, term. I mean, Please, this, normative. For me, this is normative, but... Um, I know, I know. But yeah, I mean, we're, it, it's a challenge to sort of teach them. You know, we read them New Testament, we talk to them about the Messiah, but, um, you know, it will be ultimately their decision. Um, I hope they have an understanding of the Messiah as they get older. Um, I, you know, I want them to marry Jewish. Um, and so. But Messianic, wait, is it more important that they marry Jewish or that they marry people <laughs> who believe Jesus was the Messiah? Uh, that's a good question. I'll come to that as they get older. Okay. Got You've got it. time. I have a question. So what do you do when someone's just like you meet someone in, ca- in conversation and they say like, you're not a Jew, you you believe in Jesus as the Messiah, like that fundamentally makes you like, what do you say to that? It, it happened a lot of times. Uh, sometimes I get very angry and um, it happened one time when, when in Boston, when my husband and I were actually going to go to a mikvah, which was this open mikvah sort of thing before the high holidays. We wanted to just go do that. And then we didn't tell them the name of, no, we told them the name of our congregation, but we didn't say we were Messianic Jews. And then they found out and they called us back and said, sorry, our, you know, all the rabbis that are on the board of this mikvah are not allowing you to come because you're not Jewish. They don't was this Mayim Chaim? Yeah. In, in Newton? Yeah. No, yeah. Mayim Chaim turned you away. They don't turn anybody it, I away. Know. I know. I've dipped it. I've dipped it. Mayim Chaim. Yeah. So I just oh. like screamed at them on the phone. I'm like, "How dare you call me not Jewish? You know, my grand, my grandmother's from, my parents are from, my father's from Egypt, and they got, you know, they were made to leave Egypt because they were Jews. And how dare you call me? You know, so I, you know, it was not a rational. You played the su- you played the suffering card yes, on them, didn't you? You were like. You are about to trot out Auschwitz. Listen, yeah. um, we have to go in a second, but um, wait, Stephanie has. So, 
Okay, Stephanie's I don't jumping out of her so seat. Your grandparents. So, do you think your grandparents would have been more upset if you converted to Christianity, or is something about the Messianic Judaism? I feel like it really like irks people. I mean, it was does. it something? Was it that? Yeah, I mean, my I know my grandmother, my mother's side said to you know said to us just you know why don't you just go convert and just you know, go be just a Presbyterian a Christian because then you could give us a label you know but you know we are not converting you know if anything Gentiles are converting to the Jewish God uh, so you know I, I I don't see myself as a convert I see myself as as a Jew who believes that the you know Jesus is the Jewish Messiah so yeah it's it's a complicated place to be um, um, okay last question yeah. so if there's one thing I should read, to help me, like, come to Jesus. Yeah. This is this is the question that will get us all the mail for the week. All they're like, if I'm if, already writing it. <laughs> right. Like, what? What is it? A passage of, of New Testament? Like, what should I go read right now to have you the experience you had? <laughs> oh, okay. So, well, I've read Solomon's Porch, but like, it, yeah. it in terms of published works, uh, shall we say? I would just start by reading. You know, get to know your own Tanakh and the New Testament, really, and see how it flows together. Gotcha. Um, so listen, Deborah Pardo, Kevin, when, when Solomon's Porch is published, yeah. you know, you'll you'll come back. It's a wonderful manuscript. Um, and we, we wish you, uh, I guess we should be wishing you a good Tisha Bav. Thank you. <laughs> because that's, that's the next, that's the next, you know, with the Omer behind us and all, that's the next one coming up, right? That's, so, Shavuos um, uh, is behind us. Um, thanks so much for joining us as our guest, you this week. Thank you again. Have a great day. All right, day. take care. I have a friend of Jesus. My soul. He taught me how to praise my God and still play rock and roll. The music may sound different, but the message is the same. It's just an instrument to praise his name. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. I have a friend in Jesus. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is a friend of mine. Our guest Gentile this week is the very, very non-Jewish Bruce Barber. He's the general he's the general manager of WNHU, the college radio station of the University of New Haven. But for many years before that, he hosted the Smith and Barber Morning Show on WPLR in New England, which I grew up listening to. Its signal reached all the way up to Springfield, Massachusetts. So he was one of the voices in my ear as, as a young Oppenheimer was being formed. Um, he also hosts evening programming on NPR in Connecticut and is the creator of the Real Life Survival Guide, which is a blog and podcast that gives you handy tips for modern living. I'm not going to use the term life hack because it's on, only tools. That's use the that. first tip. Don't don't use the word life. Hack. Don't use the word life hack. So, um, but Bruce, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having Thank me. Thank you. Sure. Are you feeling distinctly non-Jewish this morning? How Gentile are you on this morning? Well, you know, I'm wearing khakis. So how much more Gentile can you get than that? Are there are there is there a belt with embroidered like whales? <laughs> no black belt today, but I own belts embroidered with things and brightly striped as well, which is a dead giveaway. As nice. you should. You have an amazing name, by the way, Bruce Barber. <laughs> well, what's interesting is he has a crypto-Jewish name, like both Bruce and Barber as a last – Bruce as a first name and Barber as a last name are often Jewish men's names. Interesting. I, I have never yeah, thought that's... about that, but that is true. Yeah. No, I think I think there's something – Pretty much every Barber? Bruce I know is Jewish. Yeah, Bruce is now a Now that I Bruce think about is it. Jewish, but Barber? Barber, I think. Is many. it like a converso situation? <laughs> there, could, there could be something in your back. Have you done Have you done the, the 23andMe testing? There could be some <laughs> – that's what we should do for every Gentile guest. <laughs> is that your real name or is that your stage name? <laughs> yeah, at what point in your DJ career did you cease being Bruce Barberstein? <laughs> so growing up as a uh, – were, were you 
Episcopalian, Presbyterian. Presbyterian. What was Presby- growing up as a Presbyterian in uh, Western New York. Um, did you have stereotypes of Jews? Did you know many Jews? Did you like Jews? Not like you know. Did your parents uh, refer to arson as Jewish lightning uh, <laughs> when they were striving for a bargain? Did they talk about Jewing someone down? Like what? What was the, the what was the sense of Jews in the barber uh, at the barber estate well, at Barber Shire you, Farms? I'll take you right back to the Park School of Buffalo, which was you know it was not there. There weren't. Um, you know, I guess it was basically waspy white kids going there, but there were, you know, the the friends I made, of, of the friends I made at that school, um, one of my best friends was Jim Fink, who's who was one of the, and there weren't a lot of Jewish kids there, but he was one of them, and, you know, so that was kind of my introduction. But being so, you know, I, I will say, you know, kind of the, I went to the Westminster Presbyterian Church in Buffalo, and um, they're just, there, there never seemed to be any uh, desire at that age to kind of understand people of other faiths, just in general, I guess. And you know, that's what I hope has changed in my life now. Um, <laughs> but five years ago, when I moved to the Westville section of New Haven, um, basically that's where you know everyone. And I'm, I'm a minority in my neighborhood. I do believe. I, that's so not true. I mean, Westville, it, because, you know, we're neighbors. Uh, do you live in Westville? Yeah, I do. No, I see Bruce at the farmer's market. Yeah. That's where he picks up his guests. That's where I pick up my guests at the farm. Like, it, the, the bar is really like, low. You look like a Gentile. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you know they're the minority because you got to pick them out. I mean, people talk about it, Westville as a Jewish neighborhood. It's like maybe 20% Jewish. I mean, it's well, Jewish in saying, that there like, are Jews on there. my section, in my little, uh, around me, I would say, and what, what mm-hmm. I love about it is I'm seeing, you know, you guys worship a lot. Uh, is what I will tell you. Us guys. Yeah. We are always out walking. You're walking to yeah, it's that. true. It's true. On Saturdays, we, we cut a, a wide you, figure you through people. Westville. <laughs> well, you're six. All just you. Right? <laughs> I meant podcasters. <laughs> that is definitely true. Do you ever sit out on Saturdays and just offer gin and tonics to the Jews walking by to go to sit? Because we would take them. My God, I'm having a gin and tonic. Where and where are you going? Like, did you start seeing people walking? Well, yeah. Like, where so are you here's going? My deal. I just started this job running this great college radio station, and so I'm kind of you know in this great new phase. But um, for 13 years, I sat alone in a little. I mean, I've, my family, I've got four kids and my wife around, but <laughs> there's a little room off of our living room in the Westville section of New Haven where I've been producing all of my WNPR stuff. So I was essentially, I had gone from the, you know, the shock jock that Mark described growing up to, and I think it answers a lot of questions about Mark Oppenheimer now. Um, it does. But, uh, but I became an independent producer who worked from home for 13 years. So I would sit in that room and I would, you know, witness people walking back and forth and, you know, the the different religious observations, families coming in. And so I really, that was when I became immersed in it just, you know, just recently. And I was like, you know, that's pretty cool. As a, as a lapsed Presbyterian, I'm, you know, one of the things I feel bad about is not really, my kids don't kind of connect with any faith, you know, and I've always just felt like let them, you know, figure something out if they feel the need. But, you know, I'm witnessing like this kind of, you know, wonderful sense of community. And, you know, my next door neighbor, when she lost her husband, the people from the temple were there for her, you know, and her her community was just like so completely and continued to support her. This is, you know, one woman living in a big house, but she's got that that community and the rituals, and I've been kind of awed by it, actually. 
actually. Mark's never invited you. Never invited him for Friday night dinner. We've never had Bruce over. We should have Bruce over. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, if Mark doesn't Bruce have you over, I'll be happy to have you over. <laughs> yeah, one of us will have you over. I see you. You know, you came on. You don't know this, but you're succeeding our Jewish guest of the week, who's a, a Messianic Jew, mm-hmm. who's a uh, a Jew who believes in Jesus. And um, you know, we uh, we think that you could be a Jesusy who becomes a Jew. We think that um, I could do that. Show, this show could be all about transitions, and um, you you could do that. And you could pass for Jewish. You're not like aggressively blonde or anything. Exactly. Uh, or, I don't have a name like know. Chip. Chip. You're not duo <laughs> or anything. You're, yeah, there was no hope for duo. You're you're Bruce. We told you that you would have a chance to pose a question to an internationally certified panel of Jewish experts, like ordained by the chief rabbinate. Of Westville. Right. The chief rabbinate of, of our neighborhood of Westville, New Haven. And um, – and then you sent a question to us, and we have on the line the perfect person. We actually the outsourced real the real expert. We actually outsourced this question to Dan Rabinowitz, who is a book collector who's written extensively on the history of the Hebrew book, uh, the history of censorship and art and forgeries in Hebrew. He is the founder and editor in chief of the Sephorim blog, which is uh, Sephorim, S E F O R I M dot blogspot dot com, which is about Jewish books. Dan Rabinowitz has actually written the article on your question. So go ahead, Bruce. We want you, Presbyterian Bruce Barber, to pose your question to Dan Rabinowitz. So I have always wondered what is the proper etiquette if you are not of the Jewish faith and go to a ceremony at a temple and you know, what is the etiquette with yarmulkes? Okay, so Dan, what could you give us some sort of background? First of all, what is this yarmulke thing anyway? Because I think a lot of Jews misunderstand whether it's commanded, whether we're supposed to. But then also, you know, what about Gentiles? Are they supposed to? And what about Gentiles in Jewish spaces? Yeah, absolutely. So yarmulke is actually fairly interesting. And as you alluded to, is not as well known, at least with regard to the history and sources as it as it should be especially in light of the uh, significant uh, symbolism that, that is currently attached to it. Um, there is no early evidence, neither biblical or post-biblical, of a yarmulke or a particular head covering. What? Uh, this is rocking. Yeah. This is the most. This is rocking all of our worlds. Like the ancient Jews didn't you wear yarmulkes. No, I didn't. <laughs> but just to hear it said aloud that actually yarmulkes are not oh like my. as old as Torah. All right, sorry. Go ahead, Dan. Okay, and 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 then in fact, even in, in the Talmudic period, uh, the Talmud is ambiguous at best about a particularized uh, Jewish head covering. And in fact, a, the most fair reading of the Talmudic sources indicates that, in fact, it was not a widespread custom to, to have a uh, yarmulke at that point in time. And indeed, the um, illustrative evidence that we have of that period, so for example, there's a third century synagogue that is in Dora Europos in, 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 uh, in uh, Syria and has extensive frescoes of biblical figures. So this was a synagogue that Jews presumably prayed in all the time, and none of those biblical figures from Moses or Aaron or any of the rest do they have a particularized head covering, at least indicating that, that for the people that, that prayed there, that was not at all uh, surprising. Okay, so when um, did Jews when, give us, when did Jews start wearing yarmulkes? So that's actually hard to pinpoint a particular time, in part because you first have to determine whether or not it was externally obligated or, or it originated from an external source or an internal source. And may I jump in with what I understand to be the dynamic with the yarmulke? That is it because you're covering your head out of respect for God? Yes, so that's what we, or at least that is a rationale or um, a a, a reason that that people attributed to. But but that wasn't 
the, the way in which this was historically created. So there isn't a source that says you, you must always have a, a uh, fear for God or, 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 or respect for God, and consequently, we are going to obligate you to wear this head covering. Instead, the, that, that particular statement didn't really arise until the, until the, until the late 16th century. Um, hmm. and, and I'm always late to the game with everything. <laughs> so. Now, uh, now uh, that's that. I was a late bloomer, the whole works. Wow. Now, uh, you're, gonna, you're coming late to Judaism, Bruce. You're not even going to be a Jew till how old are you now? I'm 59. By 60, we'll make a Jew out of you. So Excellent. To 120. <laughs> That's right. The second half of your life will be the, 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 the Hebraic I'm half. having a bit of a midlife crisis, right. so this is perfect. We let Bruce into synagogue if he wants to come. So what do you think? And I realize you're not, you know, you're not, there's no one authority on this here, but we're going to put you as the authority for today. Like, what is the etiquette should a non-Jew walk into a synagogue? So, so I would say that the etiquette would be is almost when in Rome, that it would be appropriate for one to cover their head. Everyone else in the synagogue is going to be covering their head. And because, thankfully, we neither have Jewish stars anymore or Gentile stars, it would be difficult to determine why you have a man in the synagogue. Yeah, that's that's possibility. Your blog is uh, saforimsforum.blogspot.com. And thank you for joining us to help illuminate us on the history of, of yarmulkes. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. And Bruce Barber, uh, did that help? Okay. Really? Are you wearing a yarmulke right now? What, wait, why did that help? Are you going to wear it or not wear it when you go in? He hasn't been in one. in. When you go to Friday night dinner at the Oppenheimer, <laughs> are you going to wear a yarmulke? Here's the thing is, Bruce, what Bruce is getting at is, can he take out his old fraternity beanie with the propeller on top? <laughs> and does that count? I just want to say, and I'm going to send you off with this, Bruce Barber, that a Gentile person once said to me, isn't the point of the yarmulke that Jewish men are more likely to go bald and they want a covering? Oh, I think that's true. I think they go bald because they have something sitting on their head. <laughs> it is conveniently located. That's true. <laughs> well, as you know, uh, we don't let bald Jews host unorthodox. I mean, Liel and I are... You're very... What's the word? suit. Yes. We are suit on top. Another so. word I've never heard said. Anyway, Bruce Barber, will you come back sometime post-conversion? Okay. <laughs> Thanks for being our Gentile of the Week. Hey guys, final pitch of this show that we are for sale. Uh, no tote bags, no yarmulkes, but we have all sorts of gifts for you if you go to tabletmag.com slash donate and give us money. I'm really enamored of the $720 level where the Jubador, Jim Nabel, will work your name into a song. If you're, I like that. If for $10,000 you're not going to have us officiate your wedding, for seven, The least you could do. The least you could do is give us $720 and have your name worked into a song. I want to read a letter from the mailbox this week. It's from Rebecca Pollock writing to us from Poland. Dear Liel Stephanie. Stephanie and Mark, last year someone started. Last year someone suggested I start listening to Unorthodox, and it has become something I look forward to every week. Normally, I listen from my Upper West Side Jewish bubble, and it is a moment to laugh. And it is a moment to laugh at myself and my fellow Yidden. However, the last few weeks I have been in Poland. I am a fellow for the Auschwitz Jewish Center, doing research for my dissertation. Listening to you guys has given me solace as I spend time in destroyed Shtetlim and Auschwitz Birkenau. Specifically, this week's episode came after I spent four days straight in Auschwitz, and the segment on Miss Hitler USA was not only hilarious, but a much-needed breath of fresh air. To be clear, Rebecca, it was actually Miss Hitler Scotland, wasn't it? The UK. The UK, sorry. Whatever we're calling that Whatever now. we're <laughs> – Brexit. Miss Hitler 
post-Brexit. In general, Liel's Holocaust jokes and puns helped me to get through this often challenging dissertation topic. And this week, they were even more appreciated. Hashtag Liel is my homeboy. Endless thanks, Rebecca Pollock, normally an Upper West Side Jew, but currently Oswiesem, Poland. Oh, Rebecca. It's actually Oswiesem. I did that same fellowship. So I, I was emailing with Rebecca. This is the best thing since that woman yeah. wrote in and said she was a Catholic. Yeah, also. so I wrote back to her and I was like, oh my God, tell Maciek and Tomek, these two amazing Polish guys who run this program. It's the it's the best fellowship. I, I will talk about it in another day because we're out of time, but it's amazing. And so I said, are you guys staying in that creepy boys school in, in Oświęcim? Because like, that's where we stayed. And she's like, no, no, we're in like a hostel hotel thing. And if only she were a Kappa at uh, Michigan, yeah. she would really be your soul sister, right? Yeah, love her. Uh, mazel Tovs of the Week, Stephanie? Oh, I have, a, I have a great one. My Mazel Tov is to David Tuckman, who is the host of OMG WTF Bible Podcast and a former host, one of our, I'm sorry. Jews a, of the Week. He was a former Jew a, of the Week. Sorry, he was a former guest on Unorthodox, episode 38, to be exact, an auspicious 38. Um, he married Wendy Chin on Monday night at the Museum of the Moving Image in Queens, and he likes our intro music so much. He had Golem per- perform at his wedding. I have seen Golem perform at a wedding. The wedding of Aaron Matz and Elaine Blair. Yeah. Golem was the house band. So yep. Mazel Tov to David and Wendy. Uh, Batsheva. Yeah, I like to give a Mazel Tov to the women in Israel who uh, finally got a ruling from the rabbinate, which I think was pressure from the um, Supreme Court that they can use the mikvah. I know mikvah seems to be like the, uh, the, the, the phrase of the day. They can use the mikvah without a mikvah lady. They're allowed to go in and immerse without being watched. Self-mikvahnate. Exactly. I, I love mikvah ladies. No, no offense to any mikvah ladies out there, but I think it's really an amazing thing that they were finally allowed to do that. And my Mazel Tov is to my friend Sam Purdy, whose bachelor party is coming up. We're wishing him some sweet miniature golf and a nice dinner at TGI Fridays. No uh, women popping out of cakes? No women popping that out of cakes. they're case. in the mikvah. <laughs> right. Uh, and another mazel tov to the four sons of Andrea Markovici for making their mother worry and giving her pleasure all at the same time. And for me to Andrea, uh, four sons, I know from four daughters, but I don't know how anybody raises four sons. And if you have thoughts, concerns, comments, praise, or questions for our panel of experts, send them to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. We might read it on the air in lightly edited form. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. It's edited this week by Scott Jones and produced by Alyssa Goldstein. Rabbinic supervision this week by Marianne Novak, Jonathan Friedman, Alan Appel, Joshua Weinberg, Joseph Larkin, Preston Beckman, David Liebschutz, Tim and Joanne Oppenheimer, Sharon Rosenblum, Nate Leibowitz, Jonathan Newton, Millie Stecker, Carl Rod, Lori Gilman, Bruce Komolnik, and by the Twitter handle at Doff Awareness. That's a Twitter feed about the Daily Talmud portion, and you should check it out. I have just signed up. It's at D-A-F-A-W-A-R-N-E-S-S, Doff Awareness. Kosher Slaughtering is by Aaron Snyder. Our website is tabletmag.com. You should follow Tablet on Facebook. On Twitter, we are at Tablet Mag. Our music is by Golem, which also does weddings. Shalom, friends. 